0: Hello and welcome to today's episode, here I'm going to be talking about The Suicide Squad. Yes, the fabled Suicide Squad episode I've been talking about doing for ages and I've never done it, today I'm finally getting on and doing it. The Suicide Squad needs to be talked about, I think, because I think it's a special film. Why? Because it's filled with things I hate, and yet I love it. Let me explain. I am a wuss, I mean a complete wimp. I have a massive phobia of rats, I hate gore, hate feet, all things The Suicide Squad has in droves. In this way, it reminds me of the Tarantino film. Again, let me explain. Take Pulp Fiction, for instance. I never liked the underground torture scene. For me, it came right out of left field and made no sense. Then I realised that the scene is needed to give a plausible way for Butch and Wallace to make up and provide Butch with a happy-ish ending. Also, seeing Ving Rhames blast a rapist is very satisfying. Similarly, when Vincent has to save an ODing Mia, I always kind of thought, wait, why do I care? She did too many drugs. This is like movie karma, isn't it? Then I realised, you're not supposed to care for her, you're supposed to care for Vincent instead, who will surely be killed if she dies on his watch. What I'm getting at is that you cannot hate a Tarantino film, as everything that's there, like it or not, is needed. The Suicide Squad is much the same. It's impossible to hate, but easy to love. I hate rats. Like, phobia level, hate rats. Which is a lot of the reason why I didn't see this film till it had already been out for a few weeks. In fact, it was only my phone blowing up with rave reviews and spoilers that made me. However, James Gunn made me cry for the rat lady. That's incredible. Also, Bloodsport having a fear of rats made it for me. More than just an ongoing joke, it helps to involve you in the film and made me feel seen. Someone needed to point out how disgusting the rat scenes were, and Bloodsport was the perfect character to do that, as it begins to break down his wall of bravado, which is all I'm going to say on the rat thing because I'm starting to feel sick. The film is massively gory right from its genius opening sequence when Pete Davidson gets Saving Private Ryan right out of the film. Did some of the gore go too far? Maybe. Did I love it? Definitely. This element of the film is actually very important as this anything goes or rather anyone goes attitude enriches the film, making the best moment of the film so brilliant but I'll come back to that. These elements might have meant that there was probably a good 5 minutes of the film I couldn't look at but they are what made the film so memorable. Perhaps one day it will be possible to talk about The Suicide Squad without mentioning its problematic predecessor. But that day has not yet come. Gunn didn't necessarily need to make a great film. I think people would have just taken a better film, but he did while following a very similar formula. After watching it I found myself asking, what is The Suicide Squad? Is it a sequel? A reboot? A remake? It can't be a remake because the characters seem to be aware of the events of the first film, although they don't mention them, and reboots normally don't reference what came before at all. So it must be some kind of weird, soft reboot, sequel, mongrel. In fact, there are so many genres within it. It's a comedy, action, superhero, war movie, at times horror, sci-fi, and it glides effortlessly between these notes as well. So let's look at how this weird, scruffy film came to be so much better than its more normal predecessor. The cast is much the same, with Margot Robbie, Joel Kinnaman and Viola Davis all returning as well as Jay Courtney's Boomer, albeit briefly. Even Idris Elba's Bloodsport is an obvious stand-in for Will Smith's Deadshot. They both have issues with their daughters, both are the most normal members of their teams and both shoot really good. Although surprisingly, Elba is way better. Finally, a big Hollywood movie has got the best out of this man, allowing him to use his dry British wit to maximum effect. Side note, thank you James Gunn for keeping his character British. Bloodsport responding to people with a simple, oh for fuck's sake, is so British, and just what I didn't know I needed. In fact, all of the returning cast were given more to do, except for, obviously, Boomer, but we don't talk about that. Flagg was a relatable and emotional presence, while Robbie, who was a bright spot in all of her previous DC movie turns, in her best performance in this role yet, and Viola Davis gets some dialogue, finally, that is somewhat worthy of her. But the new characters is where Gunn really makes his mark. Peacemaker is dope as fuck, I mean, a lot of fun. But more than this, he turns into a threatening villain in a great twist towards the end, also King Shark, basically a violent group, and the Polka Dot Man a teeming with Gunn's signature star. We open to James Gunn regular Michael Rooker as savant. He kills a bird in his cell, starting this film's weird two-hander of a hatred of birds and a love of rats. We are introduced to Flag and the team through Savant, making him our temporary main character and setting this prologue apart from the rest of the film. All of these characters are mercilessly and unceremoniously ended, which is clever because it shows how disposable these characters are without wasting any of the good ones. It's also clever in the story because if you have to break into a secret island, a distraction team is a great way to do it, showing the strategic brilliance of Waller. There is a moral ambiguity here which stretches to the writing behind the film. Usually when setting up your characters, you give us reasons to care, which this film does, not by showing that these are inherently good people, but by showing you that they are interesting. Take the camp scene, where we see Peacemaker and Bloodsport violently and hilariously go through a whole camp of fighters trying to one-up each other's kills as if they're playing a video game, only for it to be revealed in a hilariously dark twist that these were the good guys and didn't deserve to die. A dark moment of levity that shouldn't work, but it does because what's more interesting, the squad arrive at the camp and are greeted politely by Flag or a tragically ignorant dick-measuring contest. While somehow funny, in the moment, this scene also serves to set up the later rivalry between the two men. Other standout scenes are a dance scene that serves as the campfire moment of this war film, humanising these characters and showing the weird ways that these misfits fit together within this group. The squad itself in this film really does feel like a group of very different people forced together and finding that they are actually quite similar. Gunn is not afraid of making these people as weird and unlikable in some cases as possible as he knows that he can find an aspect of each character that endears them to us like when Peacemaker tells the waitress to give the rat a drink. Meanwhile, Harley is off doing her own thing, which was a good idea considering she's possibly the only character here with perceived plot armor, due to her past and probably future appearances. You don't often feel that she's in danger, but that doesn't matter, as she's having a blast going through hallways of mercenaries to classic tunes, and so are we. Speaking of music, we expected a great soundtrack from the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, but boy did he deliver. I was looking forward to seeing Gunn get to use more modern songs and have increased freedom in that way. But the choices are so unexpected and yet all work, like the use of the song Hey at a pivotal moment. Even the song made for the film, Rain, which is great, although it should have been used in a bigger way in the film, I feel. Where most of the music in Guardians was diegetic due to the genius mixtape idea which apparently was Gunn's own, here there is an interesting mix. Interesting because of how original it is. Sometimes songs play and you know exactly where they're coming from, sometimes they play with no in-story reason, but sometimes the music is somehow both. Like in Harley's breakout scene where she sings the song before it plays so we can assume in the story it's playing in her head, but when she leaves the building it's still playing inside as if she it was playing out loud. A brilliant device to keep the audience on their toes while demonstrating Harley's fractured mental state. As the film draws to a close it only gets weirder, there is now a giant starfish over the city because why not? endangering the people of corto Mortis. The squad are ordered to leave having achieved their morally dubious government objective, but it doesn't sit right with them, especially Bloodsport. Having whittled down the team further after Peacemaker exits in a brilliantly unexpected callback moment, we are now left with only the members we cared the most about. Still very much morally dubious, we've now seen them make the right choice, the hard one. The characters are changed, in the sense that they've been stripped down to who they really are. Amanda Waller doesn't seem to like this though, and threatens to explode the bombs in the team's necks. But still, they continue walking towards the destruction. As Waller's finger hovers over Bloodsport's picture, you genuinely feel like they could be killed, due to the irreverent tone set up earlier, and the feeling that any of these characters can go at any time, it really does feel like there's no way out for them. But their new attitude has also changed the low-level CIA people in the control room, and one of them bops waller on the head in what for me is the film's best moment, showing how superhero films can still be surprising and interesting in 2021 if filmmakers are willing to take risks. Gunn's genius script even manages to tie the whole film together in a single line delivered by a cameoing Taika Waititi as the Rat Catcher's dad. He says, "Rats are the most despised creatures in the world. If they can have a purpose, so can we all." That is the Suicide Squad. They are the rats that have found purpose—not the purpose the government gave them, but the one they chose for themselves. Then the film literally makes the rats the heroes. In a scene I could barely look at. The misfits, the outcasts, some days they can be heroes too. A weirdly poignant message in 2021's weirdest blockbuster. James Gunn did a terrific job with this film and seems to have many DC projects lined up. But I hope he doesn't make another Suicide Squad. Not that I didn't enjoy this film, I obviously did, but that was because Gunn brought something new to the table. I want someone else to do the same in the next one. The Suicide Squad films are setting up a series much like the early Mission Impossibles, with different directors coming in and making their version of a Suicide Squad film. Say what you will about the first film, it was without a doubt a David Ayer film. It continued his obsession with law enforcement or the military and morally dubious characters. His team is made up of soldiers, criminals, and cartel gangsters. The quiet misfit in Aya's team was a guilty and grieving cartel enforcer. In Gunn's version, this character was an abused and hurt weirdo who can shoot polka dots, perfectly showing how they used the Suicide Squad as a template onto which their respective styles could be mapped. Aya, for better or worse, made a fantasy-enthused crime movie, while Gunn made a 70s war movie-inspired, violently funny Guardians movie from a different universe. I can't wait to see what comes next from this series, which is not something I could have said in 2016. James Gunn has proved his worth after being unceremoniously sacked from Marvel. Now he's coming back for Guardians 3. This film was The Suicide Squad, in more ways than one. It showed us what these films could be and proved why it deserved the the. But it also proved why Gunn is one of the greatest directors working today. I can't wait for him to go back to more family-friendly ground in the next Guardians. I also can't wait for Tarantino's Suicide Squad film. It wouldn't count towards the 10 films he'll make in his career in the same way his potential Star Trek film wouldn't have. DC, make it happen. Well, that's all I've got for today. Thank you for listening. And if you like this, please come back soon for more episodes. Just like it.